series that we're calling Comeback Principles. As we're on our way coming back into church life and as life outside is emerging in a number of ways, the question that is really behind all this is, how do we handle differences in areas where the Bible doesn't speak to these issues a whole lot? And how, how can we do that? And so we started that series last week. We're going to add a little bit more to that this week. So Romans chapter 14, verse 5. Some consider one day more sacred than another. Others consider every day alike. Everyone should be fully convinced in their own mind. Those who regard one day as special do so as unto the Lord. Those who eat do so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And those who abstain do so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For we do not live to ourselves alone, and we do not die to ourselves alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that He might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat your brother or sister with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue confess to God. So then, we will all give an account of ourselves to God. Let's pray for a moment. God, we thank you for the way that you come around us and strengthen us and communicate that you are real, that you are behind all of this phenomenal world that we live in that you are the creator, the starter, the author. And one day you will be the finisher who brings all this to conclusion. Thank you for also drawing near to human hearts. And as we open up to you and put our faith in you, we come to discover you more and more walking through each facet of life with us. Thank you for the possibility of knowing the living God. While we are alive in these human bodies on this earth, often walking in places where we feel all alone and we wonder if we matter. And yet you, the Creator God, who is all-powerful and all-knowing, draws near to each and every one of us and whispers that you have a purpose. Lord, I pray that for those who may be connected to North River, listening online or here in our worship center today, who are wondering how they can find you and how they can reach out for you, that you will draw near to them and that you will show them that your love is boundless and rich and freeing and that you have a purpose for each and every person, that you are the anchor who allows us to find balance in the midst of the storms and you are also the rock that we can cling to when the storm rages at its fullest. I pray that you will walk with each of these high school students those who are here with us today to celebrate, those who aren't, and with their families as life goes on and life changes for them and there are new adventures and new endeavors and new challenges that will face them. We pray that every time that you draw near that you will cause in them an awareness to open their hearts and open their eyes and invite you into the center of their lives. Lord, we lift up those who are part of our church family who are struggling today in one way or another. For Rita Knox, who has recently been diagnosed with colon cancer, we pray that this week 
you will work with her doctors and all the specialists and that you will give Rita and Don and their extended family great comfort. We continue to pray for the Hoff family after Nancy's dad died this week. We pray for Margie and for Nancy Merrifield, that we, both of whom we've been praying for for a number of weeks. We ask that you give them strength. We ask them that you would allow them to make progress this week. We pray for relief and even healing that will break through in all of their lives. And Lord, we pray that you will walk with each of every one of us this week. Grant us the wisdom that we need to make whatever decisions are coming down the path for us. Give us the hearts to reach out to others and to, in some way, shape, or form, either radiate or discuss the fact that we have hope because of your presence in our lives. Guide us as we look into your word this morning. I pray that you will make it clear to us and that you will help us to find ways to apply it again and again. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I dive in, I want to remind you, next Sunday we have one service at 9 o'clock. You guys are the 9 o'clockers, that's not a problem. But if you talk to somebody else, if you're watching online, next Sunday if you show up at 11, you're coming for the car show. Just don't be surprised. (laughs) I want to also uh, just raise a question. Why do we do something like the car show? Just to remind us. One, it, was, it started as an idea of doing something special for dads and for granddads and for all their kids and families and giving us something that uh, is, is, I guess, a little bit unusual to do. But the second reason is just as important, and this is where we need your help. It's to create a way to invite our neighbors and friends and to serve the community out, outside that never comes onto this campus or darkens the door of this church, that they may come for something like this. And what we hope is they would also rub shoulders with some of our congregation and little by little realize there's a pretty wonderful group of people here that they would do well to be connected with. So the help that I need from you guys is if you are able to spend some time coming to the car show next week, yes, look at the cars, yes, talk to the owners, but mingle, rub shoulders, talk with people. You don't have to harass them about Jesus. But you know what? When your warmth rubs off on them, it sometimes strips away some of the fears that people have about coming into a congregation where they're not known yet and allows them to put that first foot on the pathway toward becoming part of our fellowship. So that's the second reason why we do this, and it gives all of us a way to continue to reach out. So thank you for that. Our theme this morning is Ready to Give an Account. I heard of a guy who crossed the street in front of his house to get to his mailbox from, uh, from the opposite side of the street. And after he got his mail, he was walking back across the street, but he was looking down at his mail, sifting through it, trying to figure out if there's something really important, when he realized that there was a car bearing down on him. So he darted back towards the mailbox on the opposite side of the street. But the car also turned in that direction when, they, when the driver saw him in the middle of the road and headed right for him. So he changed course again and he darted back on the other side of the street toward his home. The car, however, swerved again and headed for him. And he turned back toward the mailbox a third time and sure enough, the car swerved back right toward him, heading directly at him. And finally, the car, he, uh, he just stopped in the middle of the road, not sure if he should go right or left. And the car screeched on its brakes, came to a stop. And the man walked around to the driver's window, and the driver's window came down. And that's when he noticed that there was a squirrel behind the driver's wheel. And he leaned over, the squirrel leaned over and just said, I just wanted you to know what it feels like. (laughs) 
Now, if you were with us last Sunday and you just read this next section of Romans 14, you may feel like that man. You're darting from side to side to keep up with the juggling that the Apostle Paul seems to be doing here in regard to explaining what Christians can and cannot do or should or should not do. And sometimes that's exactly the way we feel. We are wondering, can I take part in this? Can I not, or should I not take in part, part in this? Can I do this and do I have the liberty to do it? Or is this one of those times when I'm, I should not use my liberty? And if you're paying attention, sometimes it feels like you're that guy in the middle of the road wondering, which way do I go? But here is my hope. If we can explain these comeback principles well enough, these messages ought to be liberating for us. Yet I have to warn you that because some of us simply want the Bible to give out very simple instructions that govern our every move so we don't have to think about decisions, well, if that's you, you're likely going to find that this is one of those biblical topics that just makes you mad. So here we go. Uh, Today we're looking at part two of a series called Comeback Principles, and there are two reasons for this series and for this emphasis. The first is with the COVID restrictions being lifted, we need guidelines for navigating this comeback. The second is that even beyond the COVID season, we are always navigating the challenging process of how people who have withdrawn from the church for whatever reason are welcomed back into the local fellowship. How do we navigate the changes that people have gone through and the differences of opinion that they bring with them? My conviction is that these principles will help us with both of these challenges. So, part two in this series is ready to give an account. So, welcome back to North River today. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, Wherever you are today, whether you are with us here in the room, whether you're watching online, we are glad that you've taken time to, to make this a part of your habit. And for you who are watching online, nine o'clock next Sunday, that's what you have to remember, okay? I want you to know that we plan to continue to experiment with being a hybrid church. This is part of the new wave. In some ways, we were looking forward to this even before the COVID season came. We thought it was too expensive. We thought it would be uh, too challenging. But the truth is, now that we've developed this online tool, we have a wider and wider congregation. And so there are people who are part of our fellowship this morning who are from Florida and California and all kinds of states in between. And uh, we're trying to figure out how do we navigate a church that now meets in many places at the same time. So I want to welcome those of you who are listening online. We're really glad that you're with us this morning. We're going to talk about some principles of Christian freedom. Here's the first one. I think this is a great thought. It builds on what we talked about last Sunday. Strong Christians are accepting Christians. I have to tell you, this is the foundation of our church for almost 32 years. Part of what we Uh, tried to do 32 years ago was to create a church where our unchurched friends could come with us and they could begin to understand Christian theology and the teachings of the Bible one theme at a time and we would create a safe place where people who hadn't figured it all out yet or really felt outside of what church is all about could feel that they could come here and, and listen and laugh with us a little bit and start to figure all this out in such a way that it begins to make sense and become part of the foundation of their lives. For that to happen, strong Christians, veteran Christians, have to be accepting Christians who are good at welcoming people from the outside who don't necessarily share all the convictions that you and I have. So Paul writes in verse 1 of Romans 14, Accept those whose faith is weak. 
without quarreling over disputable matters. In a way, Paul is saying, accept the beginner, accept the doubter, accept the person who's a cynic, accept them wherever they are because they're all on a trajectory as they're moving closer and closer step by step to God. And we have to keep the main things the main things, not fight over secondary disputable matters. So before we move ahead, let's go back to where Paul started this discussion, what we looked at last week. Fully understanding the force of these instructions helps us then to add more to it. We notice two things from the outset. The positive command here in verse 1 is to accept. The negative modifier is over disputable matters. So we don't make disputable things the kind of issues that separate us or divide us. But now notice one more important element in this command. Paul tells us there to accept those whose faith is weak. This implies that the person who accepts is in the stronger position. The person who is in the weaker position, who has the weaker faith, is the one who argues and demands his way or her way over disputable matters. Do you get that? That's the person that actually tries to be controlling and whose heart hasn't gotten large enough to say, I can handle the fact that you differ with me over certain things as long as we're clear about what we agree on and the main parts of Christian faith are actually very simple. Put another way, Paul is saying something very important. He is saying that strong Christians are accepting Christians. Now, we're going to call this the accepting principle because we're going to build on this today and next week as well. Your faith is strong when you can hear someone out who disagrees with you. Your faith is strong when you can tolerate different choices by others. Your faith is strong when you can hold your ground peacefully as others hold to secondary traditions that do not undermine the core of our faith. Now, why does the New Testament tell us something like this? One reason is that the Bible and the New Testament specifically do not address all things. The second is that there are a number of things that the Bible is very clear on that we are to understand and follow. Those are the things that unite us. There are some other things where the Bible includes principles that lead to clear conclusions, even though these conclusions are not specifically spelled out by the Bible. And there are some things that the Bible never simply addressed simply because those matters were not a concern at the time that these letters and books were written 2,000 years ago. So the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us guidelines that help us navigate these conversations so that we can determine our own actions wisely and so that we do not harm those who disagree with us over secondary or disputable things. I like the way the message, which is a very contemporary translation, uh, puts this same verse. It says, Welcome with open arms fellow believers who do not see things the way that you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. That's an expanded view of that one sentence that we find in Romans 1, uh, 14.1, but it gives us the, the sense of the passion behind that. All right, here's the second principle. The first one is strong Christians are accepting Christians. Here's the second one. Be fully convinced. So we jump ahead to verse 5 where the passage that, that we started to read here this morning, it says, some consider one day more sacred than another, others consider every day alike, 
everyone should be fully convinced in their own mind. Romans 14.5 offers an example of a first century debate that was raging in the early church as Paul was writing this letter. This example has to do with the practice of what were called sacred days. Remember, the earliest Christians were all Jews who put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. So coming from Jewish traditions and then welcoming in non-Jewish people as the churches grew, many of them continued to honor Jewish holidays or holy days. Now, at that time, there were several different holy days, but there were three primary festivals for Jews in the first century. The Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover, which marked how God redeemed His people from Egypt. The Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, which was the harvest festival that happened 50 days after Passover. And the Feast of Tabernacles, sometimes called Sukkot, which had to do with the fig and olive harvest and where people would live in tents for a few days or a week in order to commemorate the escape of the people of Israel from Egypt and in all the years that they wandered in the desert and they lived in tents. It was a way of, re- of rehearsing some of the history of their people, but also telling the history of God in the way that He had saved His people. It was fine that some or even many Jewish Christians continued to observe these holidays. We have to say that phrase, Jewish Christians. Many people today think that those are two polar opposites. But here's the simple reality is this band of Jewish Christians had such large hearts for people of other cultures that the church began to penetrate every country across the the, the hemisphere. And it was because of the vision and the heart and the character of these Jewish Christians to welcome in others that we're even able to have this conversation about accepting other people and trying to figure out how we do that. Can you imagine the, the, the life-changing, earth-changing type of, of shifts that they went through? But here's the reality. Some Jews and most Gentiles did not observe these holy days. After the resurrection of Jesus, the earliest Christians began to meet on Sundays because Jesus was raised on a Sunday. And so their faith started to take what some have called a cruciform shape. In other words, the dominant reality of Christian faith was the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And so that that became the dominating factor rather than all of the laws and the traditions and the customs. And they would ask, what brings us back to Jesus? And so they began to worship on Sundays because it reminded them of the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. No longer on Saturdays, which was the Sabbath day for Jewish people. Other Jewish Christians still felt that their worship needed to happen on Saturday, though, because it was the Sabbath. And for them, the Sabbath was always on Saturday. So this is the debate that was raging that Paul's addressing here. It's just another example, like last week when we talked about different kinds of foods that some would eat and some would not. Notice what Paul does and does not do with these differing traditions. He does not lay down one uniform decision that just settles the matter for everyone. Instead, he offers a second principle that we're going to call the conscience principle. Each person is allowed or even encouraged to follow their own conscience, and he says it in this way. Everyone should be convinced in their own mind. In order to follow your conscience, we need to study and become convinced in our own minds that something is true. Paul was not inviting us merely just to state our our first thoughts or our mere opinions. He was inviting us to assemble the facts and to become convinced in our own minds 
about where the scriptures lead us about, or about where other truths lead us when the Bible is silent. Until we have fully analyzed the issue and the fullness of scripture on a given topic, we should be less dogmatic about what we think on any issue. Be open to changing if there is more data that can be applied. So if, if you get the sense, these early church Christians were people who were data-oriented and they would sometimes alter their views as there was more light that was added to that particular topic. Paul is saying, be fully convinced in your own mind, which means engage the mind first. Study to find out what the facts are. Once you have arrived at that position of being fully convinced, you have arrived at what he calls a strong position. So we apply principle number one to how we handle that fully convinced conscience matter. Strong Christians are accepting Christians. We don't judge or add contempt. If you notice, the accepting principle moderates our use of the conscience principle by teaching us that we have the liberty to live by our conscience without forcing others to have to operate the same way we do in order to have harmony in the same fellowship. This is revolutionary. I don't know if you noticed, but, but most religious groups are tribes. And everybody in the tribe does the same things, thinks the same way. Here Paul is saying, we're going to be a very different kind of tribe as Christians. And this was critical to Christian faith being able to spread across the world and saying that on the main things that have to do with Jesus Christ and who he is and his role in our lives and, and the work that he's done for us, we should have absolute agreement because that's the core of what, what frames Christianity. But a lot of the secondary areas that have to do with cultural traditions, we can tolerate all kinds of differences, which allowed Christianity to be shaped by each culture. And you can have different sub-tribes that are part of the same major tribe. I have news for you. If you go around the world, you'll find that Christians have a lot of different traditions from country to country, but the same core faith. And it's that same core faith that allows us to enter in and feel like we belong, even though their worship style may be different. Their, their musical styles may be different. Uh, some will sing and dance and clap. And I grew up as a Baptist. We didn't do any of that. The only thing we did once in a while was say, amen. You know, there was none of this. You swayed in the choir. You got kicked out. That was just too much. So the accepting principle moderates our use of the conscience principle by teaching us that we have liberty to live by our conscience without forcing others to mirror every single behavior that we have. All right, here's the big idea for this morning. Strong Christians accept others, study to find truth, and respect matters of conscience, leading to the liberty to live for Jesus and to account for God. I love that statement. That's that's really who we are. Here's the third Christian freedom principle. The first one is strong Christians are accepting Christians. The second one is be fully convinced. Engage your mind. Study. Third, do it as unto the Lord. Look at what Paul writes here in verses 8 and 9. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. How often have we noticed that repetition indicates importance in the Scriptures? 
The phrase unto the Lord or to the Lord is repeated six times in Romans 14. I don't know about you, but I notice things like that. I get the sense when I read something six times, Paul is giving me a dope slap as if to say, wake up, pay attention to this. This is really important. I'm going to repeat it to the point where you finally notice, Paul. And I did. This discussion acknowledges that it is possible, possible for two people to come to opposite conclusions on matters of conscience or personal liberty while both are serving the Lord. So two questions ought to rule in our thoughts when we come to one of those places. Here's the first one. Can I thank God for this? In other words, is this the kind of step where I can thank God for this freedom and the use of this freedom? And then there's a second question that should follow right after. Can I do this or not do this as unto the Lord? Those two questions ought to shape the way that we think when we come to one of those crossroads. Is this a good thing if I use this freedom, or is this a harmful thing if I use my freedom in this way? Can I thank God for it? Can I do this unto the Lord, or is there something that's preventing me from doing this as something that I offer to the Lord? If the answer is yes, then move ahead with a clear conscience. If the answer is no, then we ought to use great caution or perhaps simply stop there. Paul now ties all of this to the cross and the resurrection. He says, for this reason Christ died and returned to life. Life and death here are taken together as the sum of human life. Whether here on earth or later in, in the kingdom of heaven, we as Christians are to live for the honor of Jesus Christ. Therefore, our human relationships matter to God as well. So Paul is saying, recognize that we can hurt people sometimes in the way that we use our freedom, so we use Christian liberty in ways that honor God and try hard not to harm other people. What does this look like? The one who eats the meat that was offered to idols that we talked about last week, thanks God and eats to the glory of God. The one who only eats vegetables, thanks God also and eats to the glory of God. The one who worships on Saturday thanks God and worships to the glory of God. So you've got a Seventh-day Adventist friend who thinks that Saturday's the day. Great! Celebrate for them and with them. Don't harass them over that. It's a petty difference. The one who worships on Sunday thanks God and worships to the glory of God. The one who enjoys a beer or an alcoholic drink thanks God and does so to the glory of God. The one who abstains from drinking completely thanks God and abstains to the glory of God, and we can do that in the same fellowship. The one who observes Passover thanks God and celebrates to the glory of God. The one who does not reach the conclusion to adopt or observe Jewish holidays gives thanks to God and uses that freedom to the glory of God. And people all the way back in the first century were beginning to figure this out, that they could do this within the same fellowship. Why? Strong Christians accept others, study to find truth, and respect matters of conscience, leading to the liberty to live for Jesus and to account to God. And then there's the final principle for today. Leave the accounting to God. Verse 10 and a little bit of verse 12, we're going to put them together. It says, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat your brother or sister with contempt? Notice Paul's bringing back these same two thoughts about judgment and contempt that we dealt with last week. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Verse 12, we will all give an account of ourselves to God. Now Paul reveals why we are not to show contempt or to judge each other in regard to these matters. 
He appeals to something the Lord declared in Isaiah chapter 45. There, God said, By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. In other words, this is an irrevocable truth that God has declared. Here's the truth. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. Isaiah 45 verse 23 is the basis of Paul's comment here. He also repeats it in Philippians chapter 2. It is saying that we will all give an accounting before God in regard to how we served Him in life. So, if we have to give an account to God based on how we treat other people and how we make hard decisions in life, we dare not judge others when we know that we ourselves must account for our own words and our actions. This is what Paul is saying. Because we are under account to God, how dare we treat other people like they have to report to us? Here's a biblical example of this individual accounting before the Lord. In the final scene of John's gospel, in John chapter 21, Peter, one of the original apostles, is told by Jesus that he will die a difficult death. Jesus says to him, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. John then adds an editorial comment that Jesus was indicating the way that Peter would die. And tradition holds that Peter died on a cross, but he was not willing. He didn't think he was worthy to die in the same manner of Jesus, so they hung him upside down. And he, he died on a cross upside down. Peter then responds to this and responds to Jesus and says, looking at John, but what about him? As if to say, why do I have to have this difficult death? And you didn't say that about John. And Jesus says... If I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? What Jesus is saying is, Peter, you're my servant. You answer to me. John is my servant. John answers to me. I have different roles for you. And therefore, I have different requirements for the challenges you will take on in life. And you don't have to answer to each other in that way. Now, that's not saying there's not another discussion about how we do mutual accountability among friends, but he is saying that we give the judgment to God and we become a community that doesn't judge each other on secondary things. Here's the way the message puts this. Again, Romans 14, 12. So mind your own business. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. <laughs> I've got to tell you, if that doesn't settle it for you, when the Bible tells you to mind your own business and to leave other people alone, that nails it for me. Strong Christians accept others, study to find truth, and respect matters of conscience, leading to the liberty that's at the heart of Christian faith, the liberty to live for Jesus, knowing that we will one day give account to God. Let's hang our hat on that for this week. Father God, thank You for allowing the Bible to all of a sudden become clear to us in terms of helping to form the way that we think about new or challenging ideas or about those matters that the Bible doesn't specifically address or that it doesn't address deeply and thoroughly. Give us the clarity of thought to be intentional about our faith to be careful about the way we treat each other's, to be generous in heart in the way that we handle the decisions that others make, 
Not that we're scared, but that we're able to live with this liberty and give it to others. Thank you for giving all of us the freedom to make mistakes and to learn from hard lessons as well as those things that go right and to keep moving forward knowing that one day we long to hear you say the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, if we, if we live well enough and wisely enough and faithfully enough to just hear those words, we will have succeeded. And so I pray that you'll bring us all to a, a fully formed faith that leads to you, that leads back to the cross, that leads forward to hearing those words of affirmation one day from you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name.